You're listening to BGO Blind Pig, BGO's official roundtable discussion of all things D.C. football. Come pull up a chair, pour a libation of your choosing, and join in some passionate D.C. football debate. BGO, a burgundy and gold obsession, is the most passionate, intelligent community of Washington football fans on the web since 2009. Join us at www.bgobsession.com. All right, welcome back, gentlemen, for for another rendition of the uh, BGO Blind Pig. Last time we uh, got together, we discussed the hated Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we're, we're regrettably <laughs> positive about the potential of that team with a lot of ifs and buts. So hopefully the, uh, the team we're going to talk about today is a little bit less optimistic. Uh, if you're t- speaking from their side of things, we're, we're very optimistic that they're going to struggle, I think. I don't know about the rest of you all, but uh, without further ado, we can jump right into the old G-men, the Giants, the, uh, the ugly, ugly brother from, uh, from New York. Um, Mark, if you wanted to jump in on the coaching real quick. I, yeah, so I knew so little about Joe Judge. I mean, literally nothing about Joe Judge. So I actually did some, some digging in on the guy. And the first thing that became apparent to me is the Giants are trying real hard to bring the New England vibe to the Giants. Um, Judge is 39 years old. He started as an assistant in college, uh, as a graduate assistant in 2005 and worked his way up. He spent seven years in college ball, the last three of which were with Nick Saban, another former Belichick tree guy as a special teams assistant. Apparently, uh, maybe Saban made a call to Belichick and say, hey, get this guy out of here. So Saban hired him or Belichick hired him as a special teams assistant. And he spent seven years in New England doing special teams, eight years. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mark, but is it me or is that Belichick tree starting to point straight up in the air? Well, that's, I was going to go there next. You're a hundred (laughs) percent right. The Belichick tree is a big part of this. And it's just what I wanted to mention about the guy. So he went straight from being the special teams coordinator and wide receiver coach in New England, where he was for eight years. And the giants hired him to be their head coach. The only reason that, that I can see from what I've heard is one, they really like the Belichick tree and they're going to try to bring it in or the vibe, and two, that he was sort of this tough guy, throwback, um, disciplinarian kind of coach, although he had never actually been a head coach at any level. So they bring him in. Um, The coaching tree thing is absolutely worth looking at real quick. There are, these are the names, the, the guys who have been head coaches in the NFL out of, out of the Belichick tree. Charlie Weiss was the first one, but he didn't do pro. He went to Notre Dame where he, faltered Al Groh one year nine and seven with the New York Jets which frankly was a really great coaching job with the Jets before he left to go uh, to Virginia Nick Saban actually coached two years in the NFL for the Dolphins went 15 and 17 bailed out went to Alabama Romeo Cornell is now in his third stint as an NFL coach he went three years with the Browns 24 and 40 two years with the Chiefs four and 15 one year with the Chiefs and now he's just been hired to replace another Belichick former guy in Houston Uh, he went four and three finishing out the year he has a 26 and 54 record and three last place finishes as a head coach Eric Mangini through two years with the Jets 23 and 25 two years with the Browns 10 and 22 I think he's with Subway now I'm not really sure (laughs) Eric Mangini Man the Mangini, I think I, 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 bought, I bought one of those. Traded for a 12-inch Italian <laughs> to, be, to be named later. But that remember, that he was involved in that whole mess with being hired by the Jets and then mm-hmm. not hired by the Jets. Mm-hmm. And he was also involved in Spygate. So he is no longer a Belichick guy. He is he's out of the family. Yeah. Jim Schwartz. May the Schwartz be with you. Nine, four, four years tw- uh, with Detroit, 29 and 51. Josh McDaniels, one year, two years of head coach with Denver, 11 and 17. Bill O'Brien, who single-handedly wiped out the Houston franchise, did post a 52 and 48 record in six years, but gave away everything. And you've seen the smoking. And alienated an MVP candidate. And traded away DeAndre Hopkins and left them a, a dumpster fire. 
Matt Patricia, two years Detroit, 13, 29 and one. I guess that's three years, which uh, Brian Flores might be the guy. He's down in Miami now. Um, he's had two years there. He's only 11 and 15, but they finished strong. Brings us to Joe Judge. Um, sorry to ramble on so long, but I think the, the overall picture there is he's just a gamble, right? He's just a guy. He's from New England. He had the cachet. He's a stern guy. Um, he went six and 10. Uh, in a very bad division, um, finished five and three. But if you start looking at, at those games, they, they were in a lot of games because their defense was competent. Offensively, they were 31st in points and 31st in yards. It was just a, an awful offense. So Joe Judge likes to do weird things like tape tennis balls to his defensive back's hands in practice so they can't hold. For real. He <laughs> tapes over their names in the back because everyone, you know, we're a team, Penn State, rah, rah. Um, he's just kind of a strange dude. And in New York, they seem to love him. The rest of the league and, and observers are like, eh, maybe. He's we'll 0-0, man. They're going to love him when he's 0-0. Is well, <laughs> he's 0-0 he's for this year. Yeah, he's 6-10 and 10 overall from last year. But I guess like, the point there to me, he's, he's a guy. He, they have no idea what they have with Joe Judge. So one thing jumps out at me beyond the fact that all of the guys you just named, Mark, are, are, are from the Belichick tree. And that is the fact that none of those guys had Tom Brady under center while they were head coaches. That's a valid point. Yep. And and th- which yep. which then makes one wonder: Does coaching pedigree mean shit, or is it just the guy playing quarterback? Well, it, My, it can that would be a good thing for a pod, right? Is to go through and be. look at some of the famous coaching trees, like the Paul Brown coaching tree, the Bill Walsh coaching tree's been kicking ass, as far as I can, as far as I know. But, but, but you know, to just <laughs> all right, just to bring this home for Redskin fans, pardon me, Washington football fans. There's only one guy in the Hall of Fame who's had more than one head coach, more than one quarterback under center in the Super Bowl. That's right. And who would that be, Bob? <laughs> I, you know, I can't, I can't remember yeah, the guy. Right on the tip of the tongue. Yeah, it'll get a goofy. Later after we hang my, my only response to that, Bob, is where do you draw the line of having the best quarterback and developing the best quarterback? How much did Belichick have to do to build Brady? Not necessarily to coach him, but to build him. I don't think building Brady. Here's the thing. I don't think what makes Brady great is his physical tools. And again, this is this is fodder for yet another pod, right? right? I don't think what makes Brady great is his physical tools. I think it's between his ears. And I don't think Belichick had anything to do with that. So, so we're, so we're actually say between his ears. We're actually well, going to argue nature versus is, nurture on a what I, what I should podcast. say. <laughs> not between his ears. It's in here. Yeah, the dude doesn't know how to lose. He doesn't understand the meaning of the word. He will never understand the meaning of the word. He is quite frankly, the he's the, he's the most winningest guy in terms of just force of will. I think I've ever seen on any athletic field anywhere. I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe you could compare him to Ronaldo or, or, a couple of the guys in the soccer world, maybe Jordan in Jordan, Jordan, I'd give you. And the only Jordan. other quarterback I've seen like that was Montana. Montana didn't do it with physical skills. He no, didn't. exactly. Even you know, when he's tossing the Super Bowl trophy across the water to that boat, <laughs> he wins, man. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of I, I thought that was like the most cringeworthy thing I've ever seen in pro sports. But he pulled it off. It's like, I mean, that's Tom Brady for you. Who, nobody else. It, nobody else attempts that and, it, and it's not a disaster but with tom brady he pulls it off and he just jokes about it so so, so then where do you where do you rank the uh, matt castle 11 and 5 season i, have, I actually i have a theory like about that, that. <laughs> my i had a, my my theory on that um derek and I, and I think you'll laugh but it's it's sort of institutional momentum that was a great team and they plugged in a competent backup who mm-hmm. did okay on a on a very that well goes to the organization head that speaks but, to the head coach as well because the quarterback yeah. isn't the one that's – I mean, he's a part of it, but he's not the one that's really driving the whole way we do things in New here's, England. Here's, here's what I have to say. If Tom Brady's on another team, <coughs> it's, it's possible he has seven rings. If you put Patrick Mahomes 
on the Patriots with the teams that Tom Brady had, they might win 10. Uh, maybe. maybe. I don't know. With his maybe. physical ability, because you're right, Brady was not made on physical tools. The guy just knew how to win. He knew how to play. He executed it to perfection. So I'll let's put Brady. It more. I'll take huh? the guy that wants it more over the guy that's got better physical tools every single day of the week. Oh, I get it. I get that. But um, my point being is if you were to take Mahomes with his physical ability and drive and give him to Belichick, where, you know, what are we talking about? Stay with us. We'll be right back. We want to make sure that you don't miss out on any future BGO Blind Pig podcasts. On our YouTube channel, simply hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to BGO Blind Pig via Apple Podcasts or another podcast provider, go to our description page and click that follow button. Well, we'll see. Ask me in 10 years, Eric. I mean, Mahomes is just a baby. He's just getting started. Brady, Brady's been doing this for like 74 and, years. Yeah, Brady's for the record, nine. I'm not arguing that Belichick uh, was the bigger piece here. Brady was absolutely, you know, it's, it's just, it is an interesting conversation. Yeah. And, and it's a conversation we should have. Some of the, so the bottom line is that if we can't even agree at in the year 2021, that Belichick was the driving force behind the Patriots success, we sure as hell can't have a lot of faith that one of his prodigies, uh, from the tree is going to be the answer in New York um, because the evidence speaks. Uh, way, way, way to reel us in there, John. I was going to say, way to bring it back around, John. <laughs> I'm trying. Right. I was so looking Mark. for a way and it wasn't there. You did a good job, brother. So, Mark, what more you got on coaching? Sorry to, to completely derail. Um, your... No, no, no. I, I went on way too long about, about Judge. Um, we all know who the offensive coordinator is, the redhead from Dallas, and I have really have nothing to say about him that I'm not going to go through his history or anything. I think he's a competent offensive coordinator. I'll give him that. Defensively, I think we're going to hear a lot more about uh, Patrick Graham from Brother Paul. Um, he's, he's not a kid. He's been around a long time. He is a he also by the way spent eight years in dallas in dallas spent eight years in new england as a linebackers coach dl coach defensive assistant a couple of years with the giants in 16 and 17 left went to green bay for a year miami for a year where he first got his dc job so he's been a dc for two years his defense last year was was pretty good uh, I think the Giants have a, have a chance to field another, maybe if not a top 10 defense, a top 15 defense. They're not going to be awful on D. I think this guy seems to be a uh, an average NFL defensive coordinator. If they got some talent there, he could do okay. And I do know who the special teams coach is because I looked him up. Thomas McGahee, fourth season. Boom. Wait, oh, you he's not going to single-handedly win any games? Like in Dallas? No, but they were 12th in DVOA last year in special teams. That's my research nugget for the, for the night. <laughs> we were 15th, by the way. So their special teams, you know, come, they're a little bit better than ours were. I've, so I interesting notes about McGahee that I found while I was digging around the special team stuff. He worked for Rivera for a year in Carolina. Didn't know that. He was one of the holdovers when they brought in Judd and Judge was a special teams coach. So he must feel pretty good about McGahee, but as best I can tell, he's just a guy. I did want to mention one thing uh, about Garrett, which uh, I just out of curiosity before we came on, I, uh, I looked at his time as just the OC. I think he was just the OC in like 2007 with Dallas. And then they, he was OC assistant head coach kind of thing for three more years. So basically four years, he was the OC plus, um, and they, it's another one of those, uh, is it Aaron Rodgers or is it Mike McCarthy discussions? Because he, they had very good offenses, especially passing offenses from 2007 to 2010. Of course, he's got Tony Romo throwing the ball. So, you know, but that does give you some hope if you're a Giants fan that he might be able to get as much as they can get out of their offense down the road. You're going to hear in a minute. I don't think it's going to be this year, but. Um, he's, I think he's a, that was not a terrible hire. He's not a great head coach, obviously, but 
offensive coordinator. He's kind of a North Turner type. I think that he, if, as long as he's not trying to carry too much, he does a pretty good job at it. Well, but anyway, John, we have offense. Why don't you tee it up? We can go back and forth a little bit. So what I thought we would do is just go through the position groups. Um, and I think we have to start with Danny Dimes. Uh, I don't know how he got that nickname, but what I did is I just kind of, I'm a very complicated, complicated guy made two columns and I put pros on one side and cons on the other. And uh, my pros list is not super long. Um, what I, what I kind of came up with as far as positives with the guys, he is consistent. Um, he, he uh, both of his first two years, he, he basically completed about 62% of his passes. Doesn't throw a lot of picks. I know we, we kind of treat him like he does. That's not really his major issue. I think he threw around 10 or more in both seasons and he can use his feet. I don't think it's advisable based on the kind of frame he has and the fact that he hasn't finished either season, uh, you know, uh, due to injuries, but um, he can use his feet. He ran for a close to 450 yards last year. Um, so he's capable of doing it, but the cons that I have and feel free to chime in it uh, when you, when you want to Derek, um, I guess the biggest thing is uh, he was awful last year in terms of touchdown passes. He only threw like uh, 12 passes down. That was about half of what he threw in fewer games the year before he gets sacked a ton. And you can argue that's a lot of that's on the O-line because it is, but it also holding on the ball too long and uh, not making quick decisions. But he, I don't know if you guys were aware, but he's sacked 45 times last season. Uh, that was up from 38 the year before. And that's, that's a lot of punishment on a guy who's only 220 pounds. That was the fourth most in the NFL. Um, he can't really carry the team on his back yet. Um, he's only had one comeback win uh, and two game winning drives so far. Um, and he only averages about six yards a pass. So he is a little bit of a dink and dunker. I'm not saying maybe if he didn't have the horde coming after him on every play, because he's not getting any pass protection, maybe he had a better luck, but Right now, he's been relegated to a dink and dunker for the most part. Um, and then the, the last thing I wanted to mention is, and I think this is the biggest issue with him, is if you touch him, he's going to drop the ball. He, he had 18 fumbles in 2019, and he only had 11 in 2020. And 11 only looks good because you, you had 18 of them the year before. And if you remember, we had a fumble guy under center for a while. His name was Mark Rippon who almost lost his job because he couldn't keep the ball, hold on to the ball uh, with contact. So, you know, I'm not saying he can't overcome that, but it's a problem um, because that team is just not good enough. Uh, I think they were 31st in scoring last year and 31st in yards gained on offense. They, they weren't good, but it's hard to be even average when your quarterback drops the ball on the ground every time. He gets hit with any significant force. So he's played in 27 games. He has 29 fumbles. So he's averaging one point whatever per fumbles per game. That that is not how you get it done. That is that is early Stephen Davis esque, if I remember correctly. Didn't Stephen Davis? Didn't he almost get run out of town because he couldn't hold on to the football? Followed, and then if you add into that, in those 27 games. He's got he's thrown 22 interceptions. That's 51 turnovers in 27 games between and, the two. And if, I, and if I'm the Washington D, um, DC man, I'm kind of licking my chops at that at that number. Uh, 100% week that we're going to put on him. And when you're only averaging about 100 and 190 passing yards a game, you're not going to get away with giving the ball away two times per game. That's just not how you know, it's just not in the cards to be winning football games. And if anyone uh, if anyone's wondering, his backup, since he hasn't finished a season yet, um, is Mike Glennon, right? It looks like, uh, that you know, Colt McCoy, I think, was the backup last year. He he left. I don't know where Colt is now, but Mike, they brought him Mike Glennon. And Mike Glennon is probably is a pretty good – I would think he'd be a pretty good backup. He's got a lot of experience. And then they also have Joe Webb on their roster. So that's kind of where they stand. But I, I don't think Jones is a terrible quarterback, but I think he's got some definite – issues that they can that can be exploited stay with us we'll be right back hey if you enjoy the bgo blind pig podcast you may enjoy the video version visit youtube and search bgo blind pig to access over 100 previous episodes however you enjoy bgo blind pig we thank you for listening
He has some quick stats, 3,000-plus passing yards last year, 12 passing touchdowns to 11 interceptions, basically one-to-one, but you're still at less than one per game. 189.1 passing yards per game. That offensively is just not going to get it done. That offense, that is border, that's close to what we dealt with last year at the, at the offensive position. 31st in the red zone percentage, 29th in, in third down percentage, as you said, 31st in league scoring offense and league average and the, uh, at 17.5 points per game. And you're talking 24.8 is the league average. You're averaging a touchdown less than, than the rest of the league. I mean, that, that it's just not going to work. That six yards average per pass, um, not to make too much of that, but uh, he was right there with Alex on uh, down in the bottom of the rankings there with that. So, and uh, I think, um, I guess that's a good segue into the wide receivers that they have because they have about a gazillion of them. Um, I think they literally have 12 wide receivers on the roster right now. Um, so they, they drafted, you know, they used their very first pick uh, not on an offensive lineman, but on a wide receiver, Kadarius Tony who's a little burner, a uh, super fast little burner um, from Florida, I believe. And uh, so they've got Kadarius Tony as a, as a new slot receiver. They brought in John Ross. They've got on the outside, they've got Kenny Galladay or Galladay. And obviously that's probably the biggest pickup they made. Um, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton and Dante Pettis. And then on the slot, they've got John Ross, Kadarius Tony and some other guys, Austin Mack, some other guys. See, so they're, they're, I mean, I think it's fair to say they're stocked at, at receiver, pretty well stocked. I, I have questions about uh, are, how, how well is he going to be able to get the ball to those guys, even the burners, because you have to be upright for more than two and a half seconds to take advantage of those receivers. But they do, I think that is a strength if I have to give them anything. Uh, they have a pretty good wide receiver core. I think there's some questions about Tony, but whether he's just a gadget play or there's a lot of stuff coming out of college that he didn't really know his routes. He just kind of went out there and freelanced and was he, able to, get he was just that. that much better, faster than everybody else. They just couldn't keep up. So I tend to agree with that. Um, and then at tight end, um, you know, they've got Evan Ingram, who's kind of like the war, the giants uh, stalwart um, been there. seems like he's been there 20 years, but he's been there uh, going into his fifth year, I think. Um, and he's solid. I mean, you can't say anything bad about Evan Ingram. He's good tight end. They brought in Kyle Rudolph, which is kind of crazy to me. He's going into his 11th year and he's coming off a list Frank injury. Um, so I don't know what they're really looking to get out of him. Maybe he'll surprise us, but I have, I'm kind of skeptical. And then they've got um, a couple of vets, uh, Toy Lolo and Caden Smith and a bunch of young guys. So they don't really have anything scary at tight end. Um, I actually think I like our tight ends better than the Giants tight ends. Um, I think we have more I, upside. Yeah, yeah, they do. They have, but they do have a bunch of young guys. It's so, um, and then at running back, you know, they got the great one. They got Barkley, and there's not much you can say bad about Barkley. And not, not much I can say bad about him, except he's coming off a pretty severe ACL tear. And um, but you know, he, you can count on him for a thousand yards and six to ten touchdowns uh, a year, and he'll probably add another 500 or 600 in receiving. Cause that's what he does. So, they, I mean, they've got decent, they've got really good wide receivers. They've got one of the best running backs in the league. If he's healthy, um, they brought in Devonte Booker, uh, who I've seen him play some he's, he's been in Denver most of his career. He had a pretty good rookie season. And then kind of the last four years, he hasn't done a lot. And then last year he was with the Raiders. And he ran for about 450 yards. So um, they've got some running backs, but I think the biggest thing, and I'm going to let uh, Derek talk about this, but I think the biggest problem they have is that O-line, and we already kind of hinted at that with um, some of the stats as far as what Jones was able to do and not do last year. Last year, But their O-line is a big question mark and, a, and a not in a good way, I don't think. Yeah. Um, they had six draft picks, no O-linemen drafted. They drafted two offensive players. Kadarius Tony and Gary Brightwell, a running yeah, back. And he was the sixth rounder. I forgot to mention him, Arizona. Um, yeah, free agency, you mentioned the big ones, Galladay, Ross, and Rudolph. Again, no O-linemen. They added a new O-line coach and an assistant coach, a new assistant O-line coach. They also added a senior consultant, Pat Flaherty, who is the O-line coach slash run game coordinator under Tom Coughlin from 07 to 10. So I don't know if they're just trying to find some sort of nostalgic fire. Um, back from 07 to 10 under Coughlin, that was about 
when the Giants were in their heyday with the running offense. They make a note just, of that nostalgic fire. That sounds like a band. I like it. <laughs> oh, it does. Nice. They, they just kind of beat everybody up back then. So take that at its worth for what it's worth. Um, I was a big fan of Hernandez. Also, Andrew Thomas out of Georgia when they drafted him. I was kind of jealous that they got those guys and they just underachieved. Um, to kind of kind of put a big bow on the thing with no addition to the O-line, uh, the best that I can see this whole team offensively doing is some flashes. Uh, you're going to look at this team. Jones is going to have a couple 400-yard games probably where they take advantage of the speed with Tony, with Galladay, with Ross, a couple different weapons. And people kind of look at them and say, all right, well, there it is. And then the next game he might get sacked five times, have three fumbles, and the entire thing just falls apart. Uh, the other big thing looking at this offense is I personally think they use Saquon Barkley completely incorrectly. Uh, if I'm Garrett and if I'm actually taking a look at my team, I'm copying what the New Orleans Saints do with Alvin Kamara, and I'm putting that in Barkley. He's not running between the tackles. He's not running off inside the guards that, you know, I'm getting a bruiser for that. He's going to be the guy that is completely threatening in the pass game and on the outside, because I just, I don't know that he can handle it. And it's not his fault, but when you're running behind a bunch of guys who can't block, you're going to get rolled up on, you're going to end up tearing your ACL and he's going to end up getting his career cut short. Um, I would look at PFF recently um, ranked the Giants O-line from last year as the, or in coming into this year as the 32nd best (laughs) in the (laughs) league. And historically like one of the top five worst uh, pass blocking and and rush blocking. But I did read some speculation that um, they're going to move to more of a, like a zone blocking, um, uh, you know, format. Um, so I don't know what that means. I, I think that could mean uh, more confusion. <laughs> I think it's hard <laughs> to switch switch your defensive strategy um, like that, and in or excuse me, in a, your offensive plan in a year. So I, I don't know if that's going to come to pass or not. But I agree with you. They, I mean, Barkley's shown he can catch the ball, and especially if your quarterback doesn't have a lot of time to get the ball downfield, that's a pretty good weapon to use as a running back coming out of the backfield. So I don't know why they don't use him more. Yep, and continuing to uh, take him and slam him into a brick wall uh, is I, I I just don't see that being an effective offense, especially with as much speed. If if I'm, it seems like a no brainer. If you're defending the Giants this year, you're going to make sure that Saquon Barkley doesn't beat you. You're going to put seven in the box, eight in the box, keep people on him, make Daniel Jones beat you in the air behind that offensive line. Um, I don't know that Saquon's going to be able to hold up either with 350 carries. Mm-hmm. Plus, you play a deep zone, maybe a three deep zone, little bu- uh, and you're taking away everything they've got. I don't see that intermediate player. I don't, you know, maybe Shepard, but I don't see a guy who's going to take a slant and beat you for eighty. You know, it, they're they're going to run fly routes. They're going to be doing stop and goes. They're going to try to use their speed against you. And if they can't get that run game, they're they're going to be short, which yeah. may be why they got Rudolph, so they can try to get that kind of. Well, they're going to have to get the ball out quick, right? Because he's not going to be standing behind that line for four seconds. Right. So John Ross and Kadarius Tony, you know, running down the sideline, trying to get the ball to him 50 yards down the field. I, I just don't see how it's effective. I could be wrong. That's why I said there could be a couple flashes where there's a couple big games. People start to wonder, but then I, I don't see how it can be consistent. Here's what I want to know. With, with the issues that you guys addressed in regards to their offensive line and some of the concerns revolving around Daniel Jones, when you take all of that and you consider how good our front, our defensive front four is, I'm trying to wrap my head around how on earth Daniel Jones, if I'm not mistaken, is undefeated against Washington. Dwayne Haskins. (laughs) <laughs> like we seriously need to beat that guy this year. Mm-hmm. Somebody yeah, has a Dan Snyder doll. Somebody has a Dan Snyder voodoo doll, and they're and they're poking it for all they're worth, man. And and it just works against New York. Mm-hmm. So you know, those two games against us last year, Paul, they beat us by one. 
and they beat us by three. And as I recall, both of those guys, those are both mid-season Dwayne Haskins games, I think. They were both uh, October 18th was 20 to 19. Washington scored a touchdown and went for two. Oh, in the event, right. In an attempt to win the football game. I had tried November to block 8th, that out. November 8th, 2020, Washington lost 23 to 20 uh, in uh, in Wash- at home. Yeah, that was, if I'm, that was Riverboat Ron. That, that, Alex, that was. Alex Smith had one touchdown and three interceptions in that game. If I'm well, remembering Paul's, Paul's correctly. Right, man. We, they have had our number for what, like, it seems like for the better part of the last 20 years. I mean, if I remember correctly, McKissick was wide, wide open and, and Smith airmailed it for interception with like a minute and a half to go. And it ended up sealing that game. And I think we might have even been on their side of the field when it happened. So you'd yeah. like to think that with competent quarterbacking, we probably win both of those games fairly handily. Yeah. So to wrap up the, to wrap up the offense, I just wanted to mention one little tidbit. I looked. I just was curious. Uh, I was out on Pro Football Stats and I'm looking at quarterback ratings, and um, uh, Fitzmagic is 15 points above uh, quarterback rating of Dan- than Daniel Jones in 2020. If you're if you're a believer in quarterback rating, I thought that was a pretty dramatic difference. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We want to make sure that you don't miss out on any future BGO Blind Pig podcasts. On our YouTube channel, simply hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to BGO Blind Pig via Apple Podcasts or another podcast provider, go to our description page and click that follow button. Y'all are going to have to excuse me. I just got a text saying, hi, would you mind calling me? I have a package I need to send to Ghana. Thanks. <laughs> oh. well, all I we gotta, need is your, your social security number. I got to go get my credit card number real quick. Your credit card number with the uh, expiration date and the, the verification code on the back. Don't so, do a video chat. Man. You don't know what kind of package he's talking about, Mark. It could be, it could be bad. <laughs> so uh, who had defense? Who's up on defense? Yeah, so I, I got the defense, and uh, w- when we finished that Dallas pod, I felt horrible because I thought I was being way too nice to those guys. We felt and, that way, uh, too. <laughs> I, I'm going to try and do my best <laughs> of expressing several concerns that I have with this defense. Yeah, um, Canadian, you have to be nice. It's- that's right, yeah. <laughs> DNA, Paul. I'm listening. I need another beer while you trash them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. So um, all that being said, uh, I, I I think we have to agree that this defense is probably uh, the strength of the team. Uh, they were a pleasant surprise last year. Patrick Graham came in as defensive coordinator, and he infused a lot of life into that unit. And the year before his arrival, they were a complete train wreck. Um, so, I mean, all in all, last year, they were overachievers on defense. I don't want to get too much into stat details, but just a couple uh, indicators of their progress from last year. They were 11th in rushing yards allowed per game, 16th in pass yards allowed per game, uh, ninth overall in points allowed per game, 12th in sacks. They had 40 team sacks, and they were actually pretty solid uh, in the red zone as a defense as well. They were third overall. Uh, in percentage of time that opposing teams scored touchdowns. So, I mean, for the most part, they were a middle-of-the-pack defense, and um, they gave the Giants a chance in most games. Um, I'm going to go through a little of who's who on defense, uh, just outline who some of their key guys are and uh, the various positions on defense and what my concerns are with that group. So we'll start up front with their defensive line. Uh, They use a lot of 3-4 alignments. Uh, defensively. Uh, and to their credit, uh, I, I know Dave Gettleman, their GM, gets uh, trashed a lot. And, you know, there, I'm sure there's a lot of people in New York that uh, aren't a big fan of him uh, since he's taken over. But he's definitely put a big emphasis on beefing up that team up front on defensive line. Uh, they got some quantity and they got some quality there on the defensive front. Uh, they have Dexter Lawrence, who was a first round pick for them. Uh, They traded for Leonard Williams, who was a highly touted uh, draft pick by the Jets. Um, And he really came around for them last year. He served as a three down player. 
He lined up all over their front and uh, he really produced uh, with that change of scenery going to the Giants. He had an 11 and a half sacks last year. Uh, Gettleman has also added BJ Hill, who is a third round pick. Um, you know, he's a pretty solid player. He's got some really good bursts. He actually holds the Giants record for uh, most sacks as a rookie with five and a half. And I know a lot of people will probably say, well, hey, doesn't that stat belong to Lawrence Taylor? But apparently uh, when Lawrence Taylor came into the league, they didn't officially recognize um, sacks as a statistical category in his rookie year. I believe it was the year after that they started actually recording uh, sacks as a, as a statistical measure. But Some, that's, that's somewhere Deacon Jones is punching a wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's an aside, but, um, and they also got Danny Shelton, who we all remember is also another former first round pick. So a lot of, lot of, uh, you know, high end draft picks along that line. Um, and certainly some pieces that they can utilize to, uh, help propel their defense forward. Where's my concern with this group? Well, Leonard Williams is obviously, uh, the guy that drives, uh, the bus, on that defensive line as he goes, so too does the line. Uh, he really came into his own last year uh, with the Giants. He had a solid, solid year. Um, but here's the thing. The Jets were just fine with trading that guy away. Uh, they gave him chance after chance to become the player they thought he was going to be, um, but he never did. And I just find it kind of curious that in a contract year, all of a sudden, Leonard Williams, the light bulb went off for him. Um, so my question is, is his awesome performance last year, is that going to be his new norm or was that just a contract earning performance that we often see, uh, amongst pros? If it's the latter, then ultimately with this defensive line, you have a good line, not a great line. I think, um, if Williams continues to be a consistent guy, then you got a pretty, you got the potential of having a great line, uh, there in New York. Uh, another concern that I have with the Giants is they lost Dalvin Tomlinson, who uh, was a two-down run stuffer. He signed with uh, Minnesota, I believe, this past offseason. Um, and he was a guy, and in his, in his first four years with the Giants, he started every single game. And that's pretty hard to replace. And what they're planning on doing this coming year is they're planning on replacing Dalvin Tomlinson's two down run stuffing role with Danny Shelton, who, yes, he was a first round pick, but Danny Shelton is now on, I believe his third team in the NFL. Um, so I think there's something to be said there. So I think losing to Tomlinson is going to be a little bit of a concern for them. And to me with Leonard Williams, the question becomes is what we saw last year going to be, you know, who he's going to be, for a consistent period of time over the rest of his career, or was that just um, an aberration, so to speak? So um, certainly a good unit up front, um, not necessarily a great unit. I think there's a couple things that need to fall into place for that to happen. Uh, so they're edge rushers. Um, a lot of people thought that they were going to address the uh, edge position in the draft, and they did to an extent. Uh, they added... Uh, a couple guys via the draft, uh, Aziz Ojulari and Ellerson Smith, they were second and fourth round picks. Um, and those two guys are thought to hopefully improve the overall athleticism of their defense. Uh, their assumed starters are going to be two guys who were former third round picks for the Giants, Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimanes. Uh, I, I mentioned in the... Uh, over on the forum, I mentioned that this defense has so many difficult names to pronounce. So I apologize if I butcher some of them. Uh, but both these guys are projected starters, but they're both coming off uh, significant injuries. Uh, we all know Ryan Anderson too well. They've added him for some depth. Uh, and they also got a guy from Minnesota, Minnesota that they added. Uh, if I add Odenabo, he's an athletic option who's, who they've added from Minnesota. What he was actually, that name again? Yeah, please, good luck. Please no. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> Don't say it three times fast. Yeah. <laughs> so he's bringing 10 and a half career sacks to the Giants. Um, and he could potentially easily start for them. 
I think ideally what they want to see is they want to see Ojulari start uh, eventually, but he might need, you know, a month, a half a season, so to speak, to uh, ease into that role and work into speed or work up to speed. Uh, where's my concern with the edge group? Well, again, the two projected uh, starters, Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter, uh, these are both guys coming off significant injuries. Lorenzo Carter tore his Achilles uh, tendon in week five. They haven't been able to stay on the field consistently and they're starting to creep into that territory of where health might be a factor in ultimately making these guys just become guys, so to speak, as opposed to real difference makers. So um, they might be relying on a situation where they're asking a second round pick in Aziz Ojulari to potentially start uh, fairly quickly. My question is, is that too much to ask out of a second round pick for a team that maybe has aspirations of winning a division in 2021, uh, especially for an edge rusher? We know that the draft produces just as many busts at this position compared to hits. So we might be looking at a situation where, you know what, New York really hasn't added much that can be a significant difference maker at the edge position in 21. We move on to linebacker. Um, they had, to their credit, they had a really good ad last year in Blake Martinez, uh, who came from uh, the Packers. So he's the main cog of that linebacker group there. Uh, he, gave, he essentially gave New York everything they wanted and more. He racked up 151 combined tackles in 2020. Um, but outside of him, you're looking at just a group of guys, not necessarily anybody who's going to stand out. Uh, Tay Crowder, who is a seventh-round pick, is going to be asked to play alongside Martinez. They also added Reggie Ragland, who's bounced around to a few different teams, I believe, uh, throughout the league. Uh, he's a former second-round pick. But there really wasn't anything in the draft that was added to complement the group that they already uh, had last season. Uh, we move on to the secondary. Their secondary, um, the highlight of their secondary is actually someone who Ron Rivera is quite familiar with, and that's James Bradbury. Bradbury was a pick. Uh, of the Panthers when uh, Rivera was still in Carolina. Uh, the Giants signed him as a free agent last year and he gave them everything they wanted and more. Um, he easily became a top 10 defensive back a year ago. Uh, they added Aaron Robinson in the draft in the third round to uh, potentially take the slot corner role. They're pretty deep at safety as well. They have Xavier McKinney uh, who, who excels at playing in that single high safety role. They have Logan Ryan and Jabril Peppers, who are two well-known players, uh, two experienced players and two proven players in the league. Um, the real problem for New York last year was that number two corner role. Uh, teams really, really picked on them last year. Um, and it was part of the reason why opposing teams were able to convert on third down opportunities quite regularly against New York. In fact, last year, they were 24th. Um, in being able to make stops on third down teams converted almost 45% of the time against the giants. So what did they do to solve the issue? Well, they went out and they signed Adderie Jackson, uh, who was a former first round pick of the Titans. They feel that with Adderie Jackson, Jackson, sorry, they're going to be able to run uh, more man and press coverages in the secondary. Um, so they think that they are going to have a pretty good tandem with James Bradbury and Adderie Jackson um, on either side. Um, many feel that with Bradbury, Adderi Jackson, Jabril Peppers, Logan Ryan, and Xavier McKinney, you probably have one of the more complete secondaries in the NFL. And you have a group that can maybe help this team reach new heights in 2021. But I mentioned that I was going to try to be hard on these guys. Um, and I have some concerns with the secondary as well. And my main concern is with Adderi Jackson. Um, we can't be so quick to assume that he's going to make this defensive secondary elite. The fact is that New York is relying on a guy who played three games last year uh, with the Titans. He had a very significant knee injury, and he's only appeared in 14 games in the last two years. So the injury bug has uh, certainly been an issue for him. Um, I mentioned that he had a knee injury last I checked. Your knees are pretty important as a cornerback. Um, you know, when you think of the Titans, 
they were a team who need cover corners. They walked away from him uh, and they let him go. And I think that that's pretty telling and concerning to me. I don't think necessarily think Adderi Jackson makes this group uh, elite. To me, he has to be able to prove he can stay on the field uh, before we see his potential impact on their overall defense. So once again, um, you know, th- there, there's a need. They tried to address that need but I don't necessarily know if he's going to be a true difference maker for them. So in summary, when I take a step back and I look at this defense, in many regards, they remind me of a poor man's version of what we have here in Washington. They're not, they're not a great unit in New York, I don't believe, but they're pretty solid on defense. There's a lot of similarities between uh, New York and Washington defensively. They have a defensive front and edge rushers that can disrupt the quarterback. They have a lot of high picks invested on that defensive front as well, much like we do. Much like Washington, there's a few issues and concerns and a little bit of lack of depth at the linebacker position. And much like Washington as well, you have a defensive secondary with some pretty talented players at cornerback and safety. Uh, And it's interesting because philosophically, both teams, from what I read, want to move towards playing more man coverage uh, this year in the secondary. So I'm not too sure overall that the additions defensively move this group towards elite status. And I feel that when your quarterback is Daniel Jones, you are going to need an elite level defensive performance more often than not on Sundays. They're good. They're not going to be great. And that's what I have for their D. Paul, do you think they took a step forward, step back, tread water? I'm hearing that you think what I heard you say is they're kind of treading water. Yeah, exactly. I think they need a lot of things to break right for them defensively to be able to make that jump. Again, are you going to be able to replace Dalvin Tomlinson? Is Adderi Jackson the solution at the number two cornerback position? I think ultimately they're treading water and you're probably at the end of the day going to get the same kind of performance that you had from that defensive unit a year ago, a good, but not necessarily a top five defense. Well, I don't, I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but they um, also drafted um, in addition to the two linebackers, uh, I think it was two linebackers. They drafted a corner with the seventh round of the third, seventh pick of the third round Robinson, I think his name is. Yeah. I yeah. If, I think he's a yeah. small school player, but. I don't know what he's about, but it, they did use a thir- early third rounder on him. Right. They, they expect, I, I believe I mentioned them, they expect them to compete for the uh, slot, uh, slot corner position. They expect that he can win that battle uh, in camp as well. So they have some pretty high expectations for him. It's interesting because considering how many times the offense went three and out last year and turned the ball over <laughs> with uh, mm-hmm. Jones fumbling, or um, giving the ball away, you know, that makes their defense look a little better than maybe it does on paper because, you know, they were out there gassed in a lot of games because the offense couldn't stay on the field. And they didn't get blown out much. They were in games. Their defense kept them in games last year. Well, you Absolutely. guys mentioned we were talking about the uh, Daniel Jones being 2-0. and So while you were talking, I, I look, I've been watching the highlights of that 23-20 to game. That was the game Kyle Allen broke his leg, by the way. Jabril Peppers came across and leg whipped him and snapped that lower bone. But uh, that was also the game that Antonio Gibson broke a big play on the first offensive play from the game and fumbled. Logan Thomas tried to pick it up and run with it. Oh, yeah. It over. And then on the ensuing drive, they kicked a field goal. Then we, uh, we went three and out, I believe. And then on the ensuing punt, Isaiah Wright fumbled the ball and gave them the ball in about the seven. So their defense played four snaps in the first quarter, you know. So, and Daniel Jones was given a short field and they had 10 plays or 10 points out of it. So, um, there you go. Just to kind of put a bow on that, I, I, I'm not, their defense doesn't scare me. Like it's good, but it's an NFL defense. Every NFL defense is going to be talented. Otherwise, it's not yeah. an NFL defense. I tend to agree with you. And that's when I was trying to come up with a way of describing them, you know, that's why for me, it, the thing that I I kept circling back to was 
poor man's version of what we have here in Washington. I think we have an elite defense here. Um, I, I don't think that they're necessarily an elite caliper group. Yeah, there's some solid players, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Derek. There, there's nobody that really scares you there. I guess Bradbury, but you can you can play around a corner pretty easy. So this will be year two for Patrick Graham as defensive coordinator. They, If they're going to make a big jump, it'll happen this year. He's kind of an unknown too, right? He's only been a DC for two years overall and one in New York. He, he, he'll, he'll have a chance this year to put his stamp on it and run what he wants to run. And he's got his, hopefully his guys trained up. So we'll, hopefully he we'll, doesn't have his guys trained up. You mean, well, I'm okay with him having him trained up. If he trains them up badly, that's true. Mike All Nolan right, jumps so to mind. On to, uh, I believe, Bob, you had special teams. Is that correct? You're muted, too. Turn off the mute. <laughs> there we go. Sorry. All right. Bad habits from business meetings, right? Because <laughs> we, we all t- have been virtual meeting for the last what 18 months yeah you know and i got loud dogs and and you know you, you so i just have gotten to where i turn it off uh, we'll got, actually make this i got two quick. kids i feel your pain buddy there you go man we'll actually make this pretty quick because uh, honestly special teams is you know it's it's solid i i sat here listening to paul talk about the defense and i thought I could just change the names and use exactly what he said about special teams, um, which is not to say that there isn't some, you know, some talent there. Our old friend Graham Gano is the, is the kicker there on special teams. And, and Mr. Gano has come pretty good the last three years. He is, he is a pretty solid kicker at this point in his career. He made 97% of his field goals last year and 91% of his PATs. Unless those numbers sound unimpressive. That means he missed three kicks. That's all <laughs> he missed three kicks. The only field goal he missed was over was like 56 yards or something under 50 yards. He was dead on and he made four out of five from over 50. Um, and he made 21 of 23 point after attempts. Uh, the biggest knock on Gano at this point in time is actually his, uh, his kickoffs. He only has a 41.4% touchback rate, which means three out of five kickoffs are coming back on you. And, New York didn't didn't cover well they really didn't cover well um I don't have the specific numbers in front of me but but they gave up fairly decent field position on a pretty regular basis on those kickoffs uh, you know you, you the NFL's kind of turned into one of two things right you're either you, you either have pretty decent field position on a kickoff or it was a touchback I mean that's really your only two options um and if those kicks are short here they are so um, but uh, obviously McGahee's pretty comfortable with him. Um, McGahee knew him in Carolina, right? He was the special teams coach down there under Rivera and Gano was the, was the kicker in Carolina for a number of years under Rivera and McGahee. And so they brought him to New- McGahee brought him to New York last year and he looks like he's going to be, uh, ensconced as the, the guy for the time being. Wait, you're right. saying there's Carolina players that work with Rivera that didn't come to Washington. Is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> or not, yes. <laughs> No, I was, trust me. I was surprised too. I was even more surprised that there were coaches from Carolina that didn't come to Washington. That was, that was, I was like, wait, what? This doesn't compute. Um, Punting Ryan Dixon's in his sixth year. Um, Pretty solid guy. He's mid forties as far as gross every single year. Although last year he was down a little bit, 44.8, which is his lowest year as a pro for gross. Net 38.8 yards per punt. Um, so they're giving up six, an average of six yards per return. Here's the thing. If you're a field goal kicker, you're dependent on the offense to get you into position. And I'm not sure Daniel Jones is going to do that for him very much. You know, I mean, having a great field goal kicker is awesome. If you can get to that end of the field, if you can't get to that end of the field, Gano's warming some spot on the bench somewhere while the punter's out there doing his thing. And who cares what the punter does? Although he was third in the league in, in terms of pinning people inside the 20, which is pretty positive. Um, but again, if that's your claim to fame, is your offense doing anything? 
They had a lot of injuries deep in the roster last year, which really impacted the special teams coverage units as well as the, you know, the overall performance, um, which made things very difficult. They have not added anyone in special teams or in the draft that appears to be designed to bring the overall level of the special teams units up. Obviously, some of those free agent guys and some of those deeper draft guys will be playing in coverage, but they haven't picked up anybody specific in terms of returns. Um, their return game was mediocre last year at best. Uh, they didn't return a state that their long, their longest kickoff return was 44 yards, 45 yards. And their longest punt return wasn't any longer than that. They didn't have a single one go for a TD. This is an average unit. I mean, Mark pointed out that they were 12th in DVOA. Whatever the hell that means. But that's the absolute <laughs> best thing you can say about this unit at the moment. And, and, most, and most of the talent evaluators that I checked out uh, have the Giants in, firmly in the lower half of the league. I think the highest I saw them ranked in terms of special teams was 19th. And the reality is when your offense isn't moving the football any further than these guys are moving it, it doesn't matter how good your, your kicking game is, as I said a minute ago. You care about the punting game in those cases, and no punter ever won a game. Well, That's, maybe maybe Ray Guy, but he was playing quarterback when he did it, right? Um, so you know, on, I, didn't 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 Sammy Ball punt? Yep, he did. Oh uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he you're did. Right. I was I, thinking I, modern, but you're right. Paul, <laughs> Paul did punt. So yeah, he you threw know. he threw that final incompletion. And he said, "Fuck it, I'm going to punt it away." <laughs> so, so you know, just to loop you back in they were 31st in red zone scoring percentages pertaining yeah. to touchdowns so gano had a lot of kicks he made because once they got inside the 20 they fell apart right so yeah. he was hitting a lot of chippers too yeah but they weren't getting inside the 20 that much i mean one of the things that i went and looked at i mean he was 31 of 32 there were a lot of kickers in the league that had more attempted attempts at field goals than he did too. I mean, 32 isn't exactly a, you know, a metric ton of field goal attempts in a year. Two per game. It's two per game. Yeah. Consider how many points they scored. How many, how often were they in the red zone and not doing it? They were 31st in the league. He had two for two per game. They weren't in the red zone a lot. Were they Derek? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's awesome that they've got a guy that's 97%, but yeah, they were, they, you know, they converted at 46.34. Yeah. Means, six points a game ain't going to win anybody a football game, which means they got into the red zone four times a game and they scored on half roughly. They yeah. scored touchdowns on half roughly. So I, you know, I, I think that, I think the big story here is that this is a solid special teams unit. If the defense and the offense perform, if the defense and the offense perf don't perform, this is not going to be the third leg in a stool is really what it comes down to. Right. You know, it, it's just not going to happen. So they're, they're not going to lose any games for the giants, but they aren't going to win any games for the giants either. So does Kadarius Tony return punts? I went looking for that and I can't find anybody mentioning that Tony is, is part of that conversation the at return. the moment in New York. He drops a lot of balls. So I don't know if you want him, uh, yeah. trying to punch, but I wanted to mention Gary Brightwell and this is all I know, which is limited, but one of the reasons they took him in the sixth round is that he was a special team star at Arizona. I don't know whether he was a, co a coverage guy or whether he was a returner, but I know that was, one of the reasons they snagged him in round six, he, he was supposedly a special team stud. So we'll have to, we'll have to make that homework to figure out what exactly he was great at. Arizona. I figure if, I figure if their special teams gets better this year in terms of coverage, it's because they, they put Ryan Anderson on the coverage units. <laughs> he's a, he's a beast. He's the, linch, the linchpin, just like sprinkles the <laughs> tight end factor for the Cowboys. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. That's what I got. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think we're anywhere near as bullish on this team as we were the Cowboys. Uh, I, I think the Cowboys, between the Cowboys and the Giants, I think the Cowboys are by far the bigger threat to competing for the division. And yet we beat the Cowboys more often than we do the Giants. Not only did we beat them, we controlled them last year and it wasn't even close. So, um, so what I think I hear for the Giants, this is what, I've, what I'm getting from our combined contributions tonight. 
We've got a second year coach that we really don't know. He may or may not have gotten that team sort of disciplined. We're going to find out. They're getting back their superstar on offense, Saquon Barkley, who may or may not be completely healthy. They went six and 10. I think that's probably a good over under for them this year as well. I don't think they're untalented and our division is not exactly a powerhouse yet. I can see them winning six. Um, I don't think I see them winning eight. I can see them winning less than six if anybody gets hurt. And the other big linchpin for them is, is Daniel Jones. Is he a, is he a guy or not? Yeah. And Barkley. What does Barkley look like coming back from that injury? Yeah. Yep. Andrew, I think we, we're going to have a lot of they got teams. lucky to win six games last year. Two of those were against the Redskins. One of those, we had a one-legged quarterback. Yep. And the other one, we had a guy that by the end of the season was walking the street. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't – with quarterback play, the Redskins win both of those games and the Giants go four and ten. Very possible. How refreshing is it, guys, that this season, heading into this season, we're obsessing about – potential hangover from a turf toe but our opponents in the nfc east that we've talked about so far how people coming off the acl tears like key people coming off the acl tears. so to me i mean knock on wood it's a long way till the season but i'm just excited that we're gonna have a healthy roster for a change and but we, we're we're about the only team in the nfc east that's gonna have a that's come that doesn't have major players coming off of injury if your desk is made of wood, John, you better start knocking on it. <laughs> comment, man. Because by the I, way, the Giants' schedule is pretty daunting. Uh, I, I don't know how deep we want to get into this, but uh, I mean, they they start with Denver, which is meh. Then they play us, the Falcons, the Saints, which they're going to step back. The Cowboys, the Rams, the Panthers, then the Chiefs, Raiders, Bucks. That's wow. going to be that, that. That's and then they follow that up with the Eagles, which is whatever. And then you got Miami, the Chargers, Cowboys again. I mean, you're t- they're not their schedule's not that much easier than ours is at this point. I mean, we have Green Bay, and and uh, we play all four teams in the conference championship game. But hey, Green Bay may look a lot easier <laughs> depending on what happens. Yeah. He's not going to show up, right? The X factor is you got a second year head coach, right? And if, if a team, if a head coach is going to take off and his program's going to, it's going to sing, it's going to be, and you'll see it in the second year. He's he's a rookie head coach last year. So you don't expect anything. I expect we'll, we'll get a better measure of Joe judge and this version of the giants in 2021. I, you know, and I think you can probably make an argument that Barkley is going to make a fairly significant difference too. They had nothing behind him as far as running backs last yep. year. You know who was the second leading rusher, right? Al- Alfred Morris, Daniel Al- Jones. Um, they had Wayne. Well, who they had is Wayne Gallman, who went who left in free agency, and he actually did a decent job. I'm kind of surprised they let him go. That's who they brought in. Uh, Booker to replace his uh, job, but he wasn't, he wasn't scaring anybody. The point was once Barkley went down, every team knew Daniel Jones had to, had to beat him. He's he's their Dak. He's their Dak. They're a different team when he's not in there. You're right about that. And, and so now the defense is teeing off on the quarterback and they really only had Shepard in the receiving core. I mean, they were a lot like Washington last year, right? I mean, if you, you, everybody knew if you shut down McLaren, we had no passing game. And and the same went for New York. You shut down Shepard. You had no passing game. They had no running game without Barkley for the most part. So Barkley may very well be the X factor in terms of Daniel Jones having a relatively decent season because now guys, now opposing defenses may have to play the run legitimately. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of instead of you know tagging the tagging the running back on the way to the quarterback, they may actually have to stop and check and see if he has the ball. <laughs> it's, I, I I agree. I think Barkley's a linchpin, but I also don't think that he's going to be effective if you're running between the tackles. Just I think Daniel. I think Daniel Jones is the linchpin. If he's Danny Dimes, and and by the way, John, you asked at the very beginning of of his rookie year, his first two or three games, he was on Sports Center every weekend because he was throwing what looked like some pretty, I mean, he was all over it. He was hitting people 
And I remember thinking, oh, you know, this kid might actually have something, but he came back to earth fairly quickly. And what I think I see now is a middle of the road NFL young quarterback. But if, if he steps up and becomes the quarterback, they think he can be, that's a different team too. He just reminds me so much of Eli. I can't get past it. I mean, his body type, um, he's streaky. He'll have games like Derek said, he'll have games where he looks like, you know, the next wonder kid. And then he will have games where you're just, he looks like Rex Grossman. I mean, you just don't, you just don't know. So it's hard to say. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I mean, Hey, put it this way. We drafted Dwayne freaking Haskins. <laughs> so, I mean, we didn't have a chance at Daniel Jones, but he, we, I mean, in the conversation, I don't think anyone was saying, Oh, move up and grab Daniel Jones. Well, I'd have been a lot happier about that if we'd done that than, than wasting a first rounder on Dwayne Haskins. So I, I can't laugh at the giants even if he doesn't turn out to be uh, a Hall of Famer. Well, interesting. We're getting them as bookends in our season. We've got them in week two. And week when, eight, and then week 18. And, week, and, and then the last game of the season. So we're going to get the open version um, by the end of the year. Who knows? That'll be our last game. That could be for the playoffs again. I hate mm-hmm. playing them for the playoffs. We always seem – we're already going to have it locked up, man. It ain't yeah, but, but all right. Is that last game in New York or in Washington? It's in New York. Yeah. It'll be cold. But we're going to be resting all our starters. It's Ooh. all good. We're not going to have Kirk Cousins throwing interceptions in that last game. That, that was such a heartbreak. I like that, Paul. We were <laughs> like one, one win away against a team that did not care. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, so, where do we... next time around, we're going to cover the dreaded, my least favorite team. I hate them even more than I hate Dallas, and that's the Eagles. So we'll talk about them in a week or so. If we can get our schedules lined up, and then I'm thinking we need to come back and talk about what's going to happen uh, in the NFC East, and really get into that for the break final the one. schedules down, take a yep. deeper look into that. You can do that. I like it. Thank you very much, boys. Right, Gents, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to BGO Blind Pig. Join us next time as we once again dive into the ups and downs of D.C. football fandom. And don't forget to check out our incredible community of Washington football fans at www.bgobsession.com.